welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Bapinski, and today my guest is Connie Berry, author of a new mystery, The Shadow of Memory, about American antique dealer Kate Hamilton, who uncovers a dark secret buried in Victorian England. In a starred review, Library Journal called the book a seamlessly plotted mystery for fans of English puzzles. Like her protagonist, Connie was raised by antiques, de- by antiques dealers who instilled in her a passion for history, fine art, and travel. During college, she studied at the University of Freiburg in Germany and St. Clair's College, Oxford, where she fell under the spell of the British Isles. In 2019, Connie won the Iffy Gold Medal for Mystery and was a finalist for the Agatha Awards Best Debut, and she lives in Ohio. Connie, welcome to A Bookish Home. Thanks so much for coming on, and congratulations on the new book. Well, thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I was saying before we got on, I um, just so enjoyed The Shadow of Memory. It was my first Kate Hamilton book, and um, if, like me, readers um, haven't picked up the series yet, you can definitely jump right in, but I was so excited after I finished to know, oh, I love this, and now I can go back and read more Kate Hamilton books. So yeah, um, it's yeah. nice to get to do that. Well, can you tell listeners a little bit more about um, the Kate Hamilton series and then this book in particular, The Shadow of Memory? Yeah, um, Kate is an American antique dealer. She has ties to the UK. She um, is a widow. Her deceased husband was Scottish and he um, had a sister that he was very close to who owned a country house hotel in the Scottish Hebrides. So in the first book, um, the sister-in-law is in trouble and Kate had promised her husband that if anything ever happened to him, which um, she never expected, that she would look out for the sister-in-law because she was a little bit of a, a train wreck. So she travels to Scotland. Um, There are some murders and staying at this country house hotel is a detective inspector from the Suffolk Constabulary in England. A little bit of a mystery of why he's there, Um, but they kind of team up as outsiders to uh, solve the problem and save um, a person who is very, very special to her husband. And then um, in the second one, her Her daughter is a student at Maudlin College at Oxford, and uh, she is working between terms as an intern at a large uh, country estate called Finchley Hall in Suffolk. And so Kate goes to spend part of the Christmas holidays there. And of course, that's right where uh, Detective Inspector Mallory is located. So they pick up their their friendship and it goes from there. And in the, um, The Shadow of Memory, which is the fourth book, um, Kate is now fully entrenched in this little fictional village called Longbarston in the south part of Suffolk. And uh, she and a colleague, antiquities dealer Ivor Tweedy, have been asked to appraise a collection of antiques at a former Victorian insane asylum on the Suffolk coast. And part of that is a 15th century painting attributed to the Dutch master Jan van Eyck. Also, she, uh, Kate learns that um, her very good friend, Vivian Bunn, in her 70s, used to vacation at a camp near the, in, near the insane asylum. And when uh, a retired police detective is found dead, uh, Kate realizes that there is a little more going on than just uh, fabulous art. 
Vivian and this uh, retired police detective and three other young teenagers explored an abandoned house where a doctor who worked at the asylum and his wife died under very mysterious circumstances. And Kate realizes that as they explored that house, um, they must have discovered something that they should not have because when a second member of that old gang dies and then a third, uh, it looks like Vivian is, is the next on the list. Oh, I love it. It, um, it's funny. I, I, I did want to hear more about, um, kind of how you fell in love with England. I also um, <laughs> spent some time at Oxford and I think that's where my Anglophile nature comes from, but I just loved being dropped into this village and you capture the setting so wonderfully. So I guess I would just love to hear more about maybe your your love for England and how you go about kind of bringing that world to life. Yeah, well, it it came to me naturally. My um, I had Scottish grandparents. My father's parents were from Scotland, came over actually as adults um, to work for the Rockefeller family um, at oh. their summer home in Lakewood, New Jersey. And um, um, so he he was got interested in antiques there, um, which is the antique connection. But my Scottish grandparents actually acted as if they'd never left Scotland. They didn't come here and become part of the United States. They actually brought Scotland with them and oh, all wow. of their friends and all of their activities and everything they did. It was like, like a little enclave of Scottish people. And so that idea that everything British is best, and if it's Scottish, it's even better, that's kind of what I grew up <laughs> with. And, and so I grew up with the, the sounds of the accents and, and the stories, you know, of the old country. And then, of course, when I went to, um, went to Oxford uh, during college, that, that just sealed it. But already by that time, I had begun to read um, – mysteries set in the British Isles, Agatha Christie and Niall Marsh and Dorothy Sayers and G.K. Chesterton and all of the kind of um, golden agers. And so it it was just a natural for me. I, I, I love it. Um, my husband and I travel there once or twice a year, try to spend as much time there as we can, which is a great thing to do when you're writing a book set in a foreign country. You really have to be there at some point in time. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because what a great reason to um, to get to travel to England and Scotland. And um, when you're there, do you have any particular process for sort of helping your future writing, like taking lots of pictures or certain kinds of notes or anything? I I do both. I, I take lots and lots of pictures. If I see something that looks interesting, that might be part of a setting, I will take that picture. I also always carry a little notebook in my purse and, and I jot things down. And actually, a lot of what I jot down are um, things I hear people say that, that are interesting or, or unusual to me, kind of a way of saying something that we might not say in the United States. I love to eavesdrop um, I shouldn't admit that maybe, but, but I love to sit <laughs> in a, in, in a restaurant or, or a cafe or somewhere and just listen to conversations that people have. And I think that's a great way to understand how um, British people look at things. There, there are differences, you know, they always say we're, you know, two countries divided by a common language, but there, there are a lot of differences between British, um, culture and American culture and the way 
um, people approach life, uh, what they think is funny, um, what they will say, what they won't say. And so just being quiet and listening is um, wonderful. As you're writing, because as a reader, it's um, very comforting for me to, you know, travel in my mind to yes. Um, yes. England. Does it feel that way as a writer? And I'm wondering if you were writing maybe at like the height of the pandemic. You're exactly right. And um, on both counts, because yes, I was writing it during COVID, but it was really an escape for me. Um, We couldn't go anywhere. You know, I I went to the grocery store. I went places I absolutely had to go, but, um, you know, we're even going out to eat for a while. And it was, it was a great comfort. I, I loved in the morning um, getting my cup of coffee, going to my computer and just going to Long Barston and Suffolk. And um, I'm glad to hear people say that, you know, reading the book, they kind of feel like they're taking an armchair travel because um, I, I love to create that world that that I see in my mind. It's, you know, I'm I'm very visual when I'm writing and and I'm picturing things and I'm looking around and seeing what, you know, where the light comes from, for example, you know, what is the source of the light? Um what what do the buildings look like? What do the people's faces look like when they're talking? Well, I would love to hear because I thought the mystery was so well done and kept me guessing the whole time. I would love to hear your approach for crafting a mystery and plotting it. Mm, that's that's a good question. Um, I, I do plot them out, not in detail, but in broad outlines. Um, and I have a little tool that I kind of use for that. It's called the plot clock. And I'm trying to think of who it, it's something anybody can use. It's online. Um, but that is just a starting point because it never ends up to be what I think. Um, there always are changes that are made as I go through. And um, so I'm kind of in the middle between what they call a plotter and what they call a pantser, kind of a plotser. Um, <laughs> so a lot of unexpected things happen as I'm writing or as I'm going through through the revision process. But But I also keep track of my scenes and my chapters and that way I can go back and I can kind of refresh my memory about exactly where something happened. And I always try to think of proportions, you know, that, that you want the pacing to be good. You, you can't, you know, stay in one spot for a very long time. Um, you, you know, you have to keep things moving, things changing, new revelations um, that sends the, the mystery off in a unexpected direction. So that's kind of the story, kind of story that I like to read. And so that's the one, the kind of story that I try to write. As you're writing, I would imagine there's a lot to keep straight. Do you have (laughs) note cards all over the room or um, a whole notebook filled with, you know, all the different bits and pieces or how do you keep track of it all? Um, well, my, my main way of keeping track of things is the kind of a spreadsheet that I was just talking about where I have um, columns and one is the, the date, the day, the chapter, the scene, the people involved, where it, it takes place, what basically happens, and then how many pages. Um, 
and that is how I keep track. But yeah, I, I have a notebook for every book I write. And in the notebook, I have all kinds of information, uh, things I've, you know, found online, research, um, character sketches, just, you know, anything I can think of. And I've got it divided into tabs and my notebooks are getting bigger as I write more books. I, I don't know why exactly. And I'm thinking that I should find a way to keep track of my research on, on my, in my computer, but I haven't done that yet. So I'm yeah. still printing it out. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's interesting. I always like to hear about people's process. Do you have um, a certain writing routine that you follow? I wish I did. <laughs> I I would like to be one of these really super organized people who, you know, gets up and they have a certain time of day when they always write and they have a, a word count. I'm just not made that way. Um, I need a, a little bit of impetus. Um, so the one thing that I always do is I begin my writing day by going back and revising what I wrote the previous day, just reading through it, making some improvements. Um, and that kind of gets me back into the story. And then from that point, I can just kind of push forward. So I can't just jump in. And, and I know, you know, I've heard writers say that they don't even write in chronological order. They, they might write the last scene and then they write one at the beginning. You know, I, I could never do that. I, I just, my brain is not made that way. And so I need to have that continuity. So going back and familiarizing myself with where it was going and what the characters are doing is, um, the way that I do it. So, uh, and, you know, I would love to think I could write a thousand words a day. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I write more than that, sometimes less. Sometimes when I'm doing the revising, I realize that it's going to be more complicated than I thought. So I might spend a whole day fixing problems that I can see. Um, and then, you know, going forward from that, you know, e every writer is, is different and some people advise you, you know, don't stop. Just write through that whole first draft. Don't worry about it. It's really bad, yeah, but just get through it and then revise. And and I can't do that either. I, I can't feel good about where I'm going unless I know that, that I've got my foundation. So I'm, you know, I'm always just rereading, rereading, and then pushing forward. That's so interesting. Well, when this, when you started the series... What was sort of the original inspiration for Kate Hamilton as a character? And did you have a sense at the time that there were going to be multiple books? Or um, were you just thinking about it as one mystery at the start? Uh, well, I was certainly hoping that there would be more than one book. I um, I write each book so that someone could pick it up and read it and feel that they could read that you know, and not have known any other books, but there are character arcs that kind of go, you know, above the books. And um, yeah, so I, I wanted it to be a series and I chose Kate. Um, I, I didn't want to have a, a young, you know, a young girl. I mean, that the typical story is, you know, the young girl leaves her small town, goes off 
to the big corporate world, gets shut down, maybe has a bad romance, goes back and starts working in her aunt's cheese shop or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And then, of course, there's a body. So I I didn't want to do that. So, so I wanted to have a woman of a certain age. So Kate is in her mid-40s. As I said, she's a widow. Um, Tom, Detective Inspector Tom Mallory, is a widower. His wife died um, of cancer, and both of them have children. Um, there are mothers involved, so th- there are family members involved, and then there are um, friends involved, too. So there's like a little cast of characters that kind of carry on from from book to book. But uh, Kate is an antique stealer. Her parents were, and just you know, funnily enough, that was my story as well. Um, (laughs) So my parents were high-end antiques dealers. My dad was also an electronics engineer. So he was kind of a scientist as well. But growing up on the Rockefeller estate, one of the things that just captured his imagination as a boy was seeing their collection of Asian antiques and antiquities. And he just fell in love with that. He always that that was always his favorite the the Asian antiques and, and antiquities, um, and uh, I think it was the grandson of the old John D Rockefeller who actually became very famous for his collection of antiques Asian antiques and antiquities I I believe they're in museums, um, but you know that was kind of the impetus for it. That's the world that I grew up in. Um, so they say, write what you know, that's what I know. Um, but they also say, write what you love. And so I combined the two and wrote an American antique stealer in the UK. Well, as soon as I heard that it was England plus antiques, I was sold because I love, I love <laughs> antiques too. And um, just that was a fun bonus to have that be part of the mysteries as well. Um, well, I'm curious um, if you are able to read in your genre while you're writing or if that kind of messes with the mystery in your mind. I, I read constantly um, and, and I read, I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to say it. I mean, fortunately, I'm in two book clubs, so I, I'm kind of forced to read things that I wouldn't ordinarily read. And I actually love doing that. But when I choose my own things to read, they're always, almost always mysteries set in the British Isles. That that's just what I love. I almost can't get enough of it. Um, So this summer I've been reading some of the um, classics, Michael Gilbert's small bone deceased um, (laughs) is just a wonderful book. And I'm right now reading the wife of, Bath, The Widow of Bath, I'm sorry, by uh, Lorac, who is a, a female writer writing in the 50s, and that is good. I've also read, um, well, I just got finished reading Ellie Griffith's uh, new book, The Locked Room. That was wonderful. Love all of her writing. Um, I've read, there's a, a brand new uh, debut novelist, Christopher Wang. He's written a book. Oh, what is it called? Oh, um, A Gentleman's Murder? Yes, A Gentleman's Murder. Yeah, that was so fun. And then I've read a couple of things by Susan Hill. I don't know if if you know her. A lot of people in the States don't know her. She's a wonderful writer, and she has several series going. One is a police procedural, the Simon Surrailer series. 
So I just read the latest in that. And then she also has um, some kind of a little paranormal. And one is called The Small Hand. And she just, everything she does just done so well. So I've, I've had a wonderful time reading. Oh, that's wonderful. I feel like I have a nice mystery reading list now and, and listeners will too. I'll definitely link to all of those. Well, you know, one of my last questions, I, I'm curious if you have any advice for maybe any aspiring mystery writers listening you know, I I do. One of the things that I appreciate is the fact that I was welcomed into the mystery writing community um, and I was helped and given advice and uh, friendship and encouragement. And so I like to do that to, for new writers. And one of the ways I do that is um, I participate in what they call a fantasy agent programs. Um, MWA has it and also Sisters in Crime where you look at... Um, maybe 30 to 50 pages of someone who is just writing a novel and then you kind of give them feedback. And I would honestly say that the thing that I see, two things actually, that that I see in, in uh, new writers is one, um, they don't take the time to set the scene. Um, the reader has to be drawn into the scene. You you don't want to give them everything, but you want to give them enough, just brush strokes, so that they can picture the scene for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I almost always see in brand new writers is that they're so concerned about the plot and the character that, that they miss that third part. It's like the three legs of a stool, plot, character, and setting. And the other thing is um, that there are just some simple things that have to do with craft. And new writers often don't take the time to learn craft. They, um, they make the mistakes. And I have to tell you, I made them too when I first started writing, even though I have a master's degree in English and I'd read literally thousands of books, I did not know how to write a mystery and I didn't take the time to learn craft. And so I, I would say you can save yourself a lot of time if you take that time. And one of the books I always recommend is called um, Don't Sabotage Your Submission. And it is a little older book, but it is so valuable. It's by Chris Reardon, R-O-E-R-D-A-N, Chris Reardon. She was an editor. um, There are two iterations. One is Don't Murder Your manuscript. And then she did some revision and called it Don't Sabotage Your Submission. But some really simple things that that are just so helpful. That's so helpful to hear. And it's, it's nice to kind of get, I'm sure for whoever you're um, reading their manuscript and everything, I'm sure it's just so nice to get that feedback. And um, I always love hearing about authors really just being so generous with other writers, which it sounds like you are. Um, Well, I just, I really hope that listeners go pick up The Shadow of Memory and the other Kate Hamilton books. I hope librarians um, order it for their libraries if they don't have it already. Um, And I just so enjoyed the book. I'm excited to keep um, going with this character and these mysteries and keep traveling to England, you know, in my mind. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was really wonderful getting to chat with you. Well, thank you, Laura. It was it was delightful. And um, yes, thanks so much for the opportunity. 
For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, a Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all of the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports A Bookish Home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash A Bookish Home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.